tonight's message I've titled The Unboxing. Unboxing is a big thing on social media. There are great unboxing moments. when people, so, so for those of you who are not yet on Instagram, um, uh, the unboxing uh, theory or thing is that when people buy something new, preferably like the latest tech something or the latest whatever, they'll uh, open it and video it and show the world their new thing. It, sometimes it goes terribly wrong. And who will forget the famous uh, iPhone incident where somebody opened it and the vacuum sucked the phone out, it fell on the ground and smashed, and proving once and for all that the Bible is true, that pride cometh before a fall. I know, that was a stretch, that was a stretch. But I I wanted to tonight take a, a bit of time to have a conversation around some of the barriers on why we don't get going on the box of destiny or the box of raw ingredient or the box of purpose that God gives us. And I want to talk to you specifically around the trap or the danger of living a life uh, envious of somebody else. You know, I think we all experience this at some moment in our lives. You've all been to the restaurant sometime or the other, chose what sounded like a really cool item on the menu and then found that your friend or friends chose better. Their meal was bigger. Their meal was more your vibe. Maybe you chose something whose name you didn't understand, but you wanted to be really cool and didn't know that you had ordered snails or that you had ordered... (laughs) I've been there. Or, Or that you... You picked your item based on the most expensive thing on the menu. So you chose by going to the price section. And then you chose, I'm getting hungry. Then you chose the item only to experience a bit of envy. The same is true about so many things. You get the very latest something, technology, telephone or thing. And then look at your neighbor who got theirs a few weeks later. And now they have 11 cameras. I mean, at some point, we won't be able to fit enough cameras on the back of the phone. This is such a big issue that it is possible to go to wish.com and buy stickers that look like cameras. That yes, yes, no, we can do this. And you can put it on the back of the phone so that your phone gets an instant upgrade for about 10 bucks. And now you've got an iPhone camera on the back of your Samsung or the back of your Huawei and you just hope nobody knows. What is that? There is, a, there is an, a, an, an envy trap in the world and it limits us from owning our journey because we spend a lot of time wishing we were on somebody else's road or wanting to swap it out. And the reason for that is that we misjudge how we measure things that are good for us. Because I'm confident that you'll discover as we go through Scripture that if you walked somebody else's road, it wouldn't be good for you. Even if you got from it a status that perhaps you wanted, or even if you got from it a value that perhaps you wanted, what it would do to you and your relationship with God and your relationship with people would not be good enough for God to give it to you. 
and refusing to get started on your journey because you have some sort of an envy of somebody else's or an inferiority about yours. This box of mine of my life is small. I think about some of you living in res at the moment and you know your box of life might feel a little claustrophobic right now. You're in res, it's the exact same, just coincidental. And I, you must remember, I was a student at NMU uh, and I stayed in Xanadu. And I discovered while I was staying in res that the, the proportions of the res is the same, of a res room is the same size as a prison cell, which I thought was interesting. They should have just added a meter just so. Some of you are like, I knew it. The spirit of captivity has been holding me down. But would it surprise you that the disciples, the 12 apostles' disciples, not just any disciples, but the 12 apostles' disciples struggled with this very thing. In fact, they struggled with it so much that on one or two occasions, Jesus had to have awkward conversations with them and even their mothers. Well, you'll see in a minute when one mother comes to Jesus and tries to organise a better seating arrangement for, their two, for her two sons. Have you ever met somebody like that? They're always plotting. I got to sit here and I got to sit there to look better if I'm sitting here and I got to not sit next to that person because they're not my vibe. I got to sit there, I got to move forward. Always plotting. Do you know if you put your trust in the Lord, He'll make a way that seems impossible. He'll take you to places you couldn't have predicted. He'll make you a prince in a palace like Cam was saying earlier. But you're constantly strategizing. And you're hooking your trailer of life onto somebody else's journey, hoping that they might get you somewhere. But Jesus is the one who gets us somewhere. Well, there is one particular disciple. And um, I think sometimes one should read the Bible and occasionally it's okay to see some humour in it. There's a humorous story I'm about to tell you. The disciple's name was John. John... Um, John, John felt he was quite important in the story of Jesus. Look, you'll see what I mean. John, let me just tell you, heads up, and Peter weren't best friends. And there are two conflicts that happen at the end of the book of John that prove that. So can we go there and then we'll learn something from their conflict, how Jesus handled it, like a little test case, and then we will abandon the trap of envy and comparison, and we'll walk out of here tonight going, I'm going to own my road, my box, my story, and my journey, and it'll be good for me, and it'll honour God, and I'm not going to worry about somebody else's road and somebody else's journey. Can we say amen to that? Amen. In John chapter 20, there is this story that takes place. Mary comes back from the tomb. Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. She comes back to this. I do find it quite funny that the while the 12 men are arguing about how important they were. Uh, the woman just got the job done, went to the tomb, found out first and had to WhatsApp the apostles. When you guys are finished working out where you're supposed to sit, maybe you want to come see an empty tomb. Bit of humour. But they come and then the, the disciples are all there and they, they're going to go look for themselves. And we pick up the story in verse two. Uh, it says this, then she ran to uh, um, ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, just pause for a moment there. And she, she went to two people, Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus really loved. Just, just by the way, who is that? Does anyone know who the disciple is that Jesus really loves? John, 
Who's writing this? Have you ever met somebody who talks about themselves in the third person? That's John. Jesus loves John, but John is annoying. When he describes himself in four places in the book of John, in one place in the book, John, he says, the disciple that reclined at the chest of Jesus. Are you serious? Is that how you're going to be walking around describing yourself? That's literally like introducing yourself and going, hi, my name is George, firstborn among the saints, called, appointed, and anointed, the one whom the Lord loves. I mean, stop it. You're amening at the wrong place. You're not supposed to be John. But you'll see something in a moment. So, the one whom the self, it gets, it gets more fascinating. They, they, they'd taken away the Lord out of the tomb um, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, the only two disciples involved, Peter and, thank you, the one whom Jesus loves, thank you, C.P. John. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, you know, the, the one, uh, were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter. Are you serious? John's got to be, I've got to be there first, I've got to be the first. I'm just, I feel for Peter. Peter's like, oh, this guy again. I was, I was in Jeffrey's Bay years ago and there was a park run and some of our staff team were running it. I was cheering. And, and making coffee afterwards. And, and one person, uh, who shall remain nameless, was running uh, behind one of our staff members the entire 5K. And at the last 30 meters in front of everybody, they mustered all the evil energy of envy they could find. And they, shoop, and they did one of these. Like, you're like, the 300th person. There's no ribbons. Just stop it. You're not first. You're first in your own head. Cut it out. What is wrong with you? But I mean, I'm the one the Lord loves. So, you know, Peter's got to be second. I've got to be first. Here's what's really funny uh, in this story. I just um, love the Lord's way of speaking. So Peter, Peter, turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus, uh, uh, whom Jesus loved was following him. And, uh, uh, um, and uh, oh, no, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to go to, because the rest of the verse actually says, when they got there, they went into the tomb and found the other disciples were already there. <laughs> you know, um, you slow down when you're trying to speed up to beat somebody else. And somebody else who's not in your head space of competition is going to get there first because they don't have the baggage of comparison and envy to carry across the line. Instead of looking where you're supposed to be going, you're looking who else is going. That's not a, you're not going to be able to live the life God has called you to do. I'll tell you, I'll be vulnerable on this. Pastors, we go through this. Also, I am going to go to John 21 just now, production. Pastors also go through this. Every now and then someone will send me a, a, a video clip of like maybe 
like a, maybe a youth group or something that they went to and like there's 25 people speaking in tongues. And then they'll say, why don't we do this? And I'd be like, yeah, maybe we should. Sort of clear my throat, test my tongues. <laughs> Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. But then I remember. You see, then I look. Then I remember. Now, there's a reason why it's 25 people in the room. It's hard enough to get 25 crazy people in the room. But because the Bible says if you speak in tongues and a visitor comes, they're going to say, what is going on here? In fact, the Bible goes on to say, they'll say, you are mad or drunk and I'll pass. But if you speak in intelligible words, even fewer intelligible words than many tongues, then the sinner will come in and say, God is in your midst and you will find Christ. I'm called to do that. Now somebody else is called to do the other thing. Run your race. Run your race. I get an email from TBN. We think you should be on TV. I'm like, yeah, I think we should. I think I should. The one whom the Lord loves. (laughs) <laughs> should be on TV. I haven't decided on that one yet. I just got to make sure because I'll tell you why I haven't said yes. I have like, when I think of TV preachers, I don't have good pictures. I, I imagine some guy sort of dressed in bling, you know, pushing out language nobody listens to anymore and I'm just very anxious about it. But maybe we could do it different and change the world. There are other ways. But just be careful that the motive of your heart isn't what I saw someone else doing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I look to the mirror of my neighbor or the mirror of my friend, and then I do. I look to the mirror of the word, and then not forgetting that I apply uh, what God has shown me. So get anxious about all that kind of stuff. People tell me, oh, you're, you're single and you're pastoring a church. I, 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 I just about break down over that. People will be like, you're single, you're pastor church. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can give advice to people, whatever. And then I'll go home and I'll go, yeah. Russianbrides.com, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I've got to, got to solve this problem so I could grow the church, you know. Some of you are laughing because your profiles are there. Don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry. It was a joke. I wasn't there. But you can come to the altar afterwards. But then I remind myself, Jesus wasn't married, and I challenge any one of you to name one of the 12 apostles' wives. So if it was such a big deal, wouldn't it be there? I don't know why other people keep inviting me to run their race. Your race is full with you. My race is empty. I want to run it. There's a danger there. There's a second incident with Peter and John that really galvanizes this, and I'll give you three ideas. A couple of weeks later in the Bible story, Jesus is resurrected. He gathers the disciples together. Some of you know the story. They've gone fishing, right? Jesus is on the shore. Peter is constantly (laughs) chasing Jesus. He's running the first time. Now he's swimming. John's not going to swim, though. The one whom the Lord loves doesn't get in the water. He's either walking on the water or the boat's going to row him there. But he's not going to get in the water. So he doesn't get in the water. And they have a conversation and Jesus says to Peter, 
Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And there's this conversation with Peter and Jesus. Peter, Jesus is forgiving Peter for his, his denial of him earlier. And John is not mentioned in the story. So he's a little bleak. Sorry, I'm here. The one whom you love. The one who reclined at the chest of the Savior, who knew the secret of who the traitor was. Me, I'm here. So Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this is the one that leaned back. Who's writing this? Oh, John. He's really pumping himself, eh? He's pumping himself. He, is, he was the original, like, Twitter profile description. Who are you? World changer, economist, uh, entrepreneur, Bitcoin trading, what, what? Follow me. He's doing that. This is the one who's recounted. Lord, uh, who's going to betray you? He asked the question. I mean, it's all very proudful. Uh, then Peter saw him. Now Peter's annoyed. John's following conversations. John's lurking around. Peter says, uh, saw him and says, Lord, what about him? Just pause there for a moment and look at the tone of irritation in Peter's voice. It's like, Lord, thank you for forgiving me and thank you for giving me a calling. What are we going to do about John? <laughs> Just between us, he's super irritating us. He's like introducing himself in the third person. Hello, you know, it's literally like me roaming around introducing myself. Hello, I'm George. And then in the middle of the conversation, I say, George had a thought. <laughs> we know you're here having the thought. We know that. And you know what Jesus said? If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You just follow me. And you know what Jesus was saying to, to, to Peter, whom he was calling into a role to start the church, to build the church. He was the great, first great preacher of the gospel. He just said, don't get distracted by the Johns. I've got my own road with them. If I decide he stays alive forever, if I decide he dies tomorrow, that's none of your business. And I don't owe you an explanation. And I don't want you to get involved. You just follow me, please. And the implication of the text is when you're following somebody else, you're not following him. And in a world where we keep trying to copy by following people on social media, be careful that your following isn't envy. Because you're going to get robbed from the joy of your road. And who knows, but that the people you are following and hoping to be like may be inferior to the plan that God has for you. What if you peg your hopes on being as good as John to find that your road is greater than John? Hey man, the story ends quite hectically and I'll give you the three points. Peter becomes the great preacher. Does the first sermon in the book of Acts. Travels around the world and establishes churches. John lives his dying days on an island and writes the book of Revelation while blind. <laughs> Watch out. You don't know how the story ends. Oh, this person got a better this and a better that. Wait, wait, you're only in the middle of the book. 
You don't know that your little something might become a multi-generational business and somebody else's great something ends with their lives. I think we have frozen into paralysis because we want more before we've even started. And that if it isn't big enough, like you won't show up. But what the Bible needs from us is to show up in the small things and then he will bring up the big things. Just show up. Sometimes people ask me what my favorite spiritual gift is personally. My favorite spiritual gift is not what most people think. I love preaching. Hopefully it's a spiritual gift. And my favorite spiritual gift is perhaps more de better described as a fruit. I just persevere. I'll keep showing up. On the good days and the bad days and the windy days and the wet days and the sunny days, I just show up. And if you show up long enough, God will show up big enough. There are three ideas I want to share with you to help you unbox a sense of purpose so that you won't be filled with envy or fall into the comparison trap. One of them actually, Cam doing his giving message shared, which I did find a humorous message considering that the biceps were punishing that shirt. But first of all, um, I have to accept that based on how I'm built, God has provided me all I need. That's the first principle, all I need. You know, um, it's such an old issue that even in the Bible, Cain and Abel offered different offerings and the one was jealous of the other. Throughout scripture, there's a temptation from man's heart to envy. But I've learned that based on how I'm wired, I have all I need. And if I'm faithful with that, God will multiply it. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay. I'm going to receive that as confirmation from the neighborhood that the word is in season. Um, my, my road marked out is not the same as your road marked out. I've got a road marked out for me. I like that because it has my name on it. You can't decipher it because it's not in a language that makes sense to you. But he wrote it in a language that makes sense to me. And I must follow it. To win the race is not to win the race with others in it. It's to win the race of my life against the time and the opportunity that God has given me. I'm in a race all by myself, but I'm racing time, destiny, and opportunity. And I want to encourage you. You know that you're um, disrespecting your box when you're delaying on your duty. You're killing one of the ingredients, time. Don't kill time. You'll find later how incredibly valuable it is. So I have all I need based on how I'm built. Secondly, everything I need to do 
should be acceptable to him, not to others. Do you know how many times we're tempted to do that? To show off stuff for others. I chatted to a friend. We have a family in the church who own car dealerships and sell some fancy cars like Mustangs and Range Rovers and stuff. Do you know they full on have to have a staff member blocking people from sitting on the hood of expensive cars for the gram. They'll damage expensive cars to take a photo to suggest to other people that that's what they were doing this afternoon. What if we were as passionate about doing something that when presented to God, we would say, Lord, is this acceptable to you? Would, you, would this be pleasing to you? That would change the way you look at stuff, right? Would this be pleasing to you? I think we're tempted to please. We all have a man-pleasing side to us. How many of us have not posted something and we've got a mental calculator? If after one hour there aren't 50 likes, delete. How many of you have done that? Oh, how I wish some people would delete their toxic relationships as fast as they delete their fake photos. I'm going to just leave that there. I had a double shot before church. I'm buzzing at the moment. And it's long weekend. I could preach until the sun riseth. No, I went to that. I went to that. Just calm down. Some people are tapping out. Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Here it is. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, and said, kneeling down. I mean, how dramatic. I just picture it as very dramatic. Sorry, Jesus. I need to see you. I mean, everyone else who's kneeling before Jesus has got a sick daughter, a dying servant, a woman with the issue of blood. What is it, sister? The seating arrangements in heaven. For this you are kneeling. You don't want to get up. For this you are kneeling. Can, what, what do you want? Uh, grant that one of these two sons of mine, look, look at this, sit on your right, the other one on your left. No room for anybody else in your kingdom. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink, which later they found out is the cup of death. Uh, if you uh, spend less time asking for status and more time asking for responsibility. That's what Jesus was saying. I hear you, you're asking me for the position, but are you willing to drink the cup of duty. Do you know there's a weird thing going on in the world at the moment that people want to skip the bitter cup to get to the sweet seat. And I think that's very wise. And I really want to encourage you to think about that. And then thirdly, I have all I need. All that I have must be, must be pleasing to him. And thirdly, where I have abundance, it belongs to him. That's a very important idea that I think is, you see, <clears throat> go back to the restaurant with the meal, you choosing the wrong item, you saw your friends, you, you chose, a, you know, a mini slider burger and they chose the double Whopper with cheese burger and you're a little envious. Let me tell you what the Bible says is the answer to that. Find somebody who can only afford the mini and take them for a double whopper meal and pay for it. 
and be somebody else's story of blessing. Be somebody else's story of blessing. I'll close with this. <clears throat> Recently, we, we've all seen the dramatic Will Smith moment. In fact, it's now become a saying and a meme. If somebody is getting out of hand, you tell them, I'm a Will Smith you. Uh, and Christians should not, though. But the person who impressed me in that whole scenario was Denzel Washington for giving fatherly advice or brotherly advice to a fellow actor. But he has a history of doing that. He's a believer, by the way. He has a history of doing that. In particular, seeing a young black actor going to study, seeing talent in him, and then hearing that that young black actor couldn't afford to be in acting school. And that young man received an envelope to say your tuition has been covered. And for a whole year until he graduated, he didn't know who paid it. And on the final days, he went to ask, who paid my tuition? And they told him, Denzel Washington saw you in something lesser, but saw something in you and paid for it, expects nothing from it. I wonder if we weren't so hung up about getting for ourselves to prove something, how many people we could pull along the way, and then they would tell the story of you being the one whom the Lord loves. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to tell the story because so many other people would be telling it. You wouldn't have to say, hi, I'm, you know, John, the one, the one. You wouldn't have to say it. You would have to say, you know, hi, I'm George, and George had a thought. Other people would say, you know, you should hang around George, but it's got good thoughts. But you're spending on yourself, so now you have to tell your own story. You're the only guy in it. How powerful would it be if we pulled somebody else along? But by an equality, says 2 Corinthians 8, that now at this time, your abundance may supply somebody else's lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality in our lives. That's how we should treat opportunity. Lord, you've given me all I need. All that I do must honor you, and what I have left over is available for you. You know, if we got that idea right, I think the world would be a better place, but you'd be a happier person. Because I can't tell you how the devil keeps moving the happiness line further and further away. I just need to graduate, then I'll be. I just need to get through my internship, then I'll be. I just need to get married, then I'll be. Now nah, you're 60 and you're saying, I just need to add a floor to my house, then I'll be happy. No, you're happy now, joyful now, and everything you do is a pleasure and a joy. Surely that would be a better way to go through life. I want to encourage you as we in a moment get up to pray. Avoid the comparison trap. Watch out for a spirit of envy. Start unboxing your gift, your box. Don't look at somebody else's. You don't know what's still coming in that box. Honor the Lord with yours and run your race and you'll be a happy human being. And happy human beings attract 
other happy people into their lives. Watch out if the only people around you uh, are trying to be you, you'll never have companions. You'll only have competitors. And that's not a nice way of living life. Should we stand to pray? I um, want to invite you, remind you that um, there's awesome coffee after church. Just a quick reminder. Best in town. Um, and I also want to remind you that there are people up front to pray for you after every service. You don't have to wait for a special occasion. Uh, uh, trained people just make their way here and they wait around and whenever you want. It's communion on either side, prayer request cards. It's all available. I think there's starting point tonight. Is that true? Starting point, which is sort of your way of joining the church. Week one of three weeks happens tonight. So after the service, while a few people are having coffee. We won't, we won't leave you here and lock you up here. Uh, you just go and find out more about the church. But take advantage of the buffet called church, is what I'm trying to say. I'd like to pray. And I really want to, would it be okay if I said I want to rebuke the spirit of envy? Like, I just want to, like, stop it. Father, thank you so much that you have marked out a road for us and that that's so incredibly important that we need to invest ourselves into figuring out the markings when it's appropriate to turn left or right or, or just to slow down or pick up the pace because it's a race and it's marked out for us. Help us, Lord, to abandon this envious attitude that even great apostles in the Bible seem to wrestle with and struggle with. Help us to lay them aside and, and to enjoy the journey we're on and to celebrate the victories and believe you for every, through every battle. And Lord, would you teach us to enjoy the opportunities you've, you've put in our paths so that we're not absent just living in someone else's reality. We want to live in in our own. Tonight, Lord, we pray that a spirit of comparison and a spirit of envy and even jealousy of inferiority will be cut off in Jesus' name, will be cast away, will be removed, plucked out, weeded out, whichever language, will be bound up so that we can be truly free to explore what you have in mind for us. And Father, we pray that we will own our day that we will own our opportunity and we will own the gifts you've given to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and worship? It's always a, a great pleasure to be with you in church. 